All right. Uh, my name is Jeremy Smith. I'm one of the elders here at Grace, and I have the privilege of going through God's Word with you this morning. As you heard uh, Pastor Doug mention earlier today, uh, this month we're taking an extra special look at global outreach, or global missions you might have used, called it before too. And so this morning we're going to be taking a look at God's heart for the nations, what he's called us to do to obey his great commission to take the gospel to the nations, and then we'll look at some practical ways that we can do that here in the Virginia area. Now if you're like me, uh, oftentimes the missions and the nations can be at the back burner of our minds. We're so easily focused on the things right in front of us, our families, our jobs, our neighbors, uh, and we'll spend a lot of our time discipling our children, uh, spending time in home group, praying for one another, uh, discipling local brothers and sisters here in the church, uh, doing outreach here in Lorton, and those are all wonderful things. We, we need to be doing those things. We are commanded to do those things. And that's, that's God's grace in our lives when we have the desire to pursue those things. But this morning, I want us to broaden our hearts, to enlarge them so that our heart is more like our Heavenly Father's, who loves the nations. And, and listen, my hope today isn't that all of you decide to go out and become a missionary to a foreign land. God may call some of you to that, but there's things that each of us can do here where God already has us to love and care for the nations. If you want a high-level outline for where we're going to go today, we're first going to look at God's heart for the nations, then we're going to look at our call to take the gospel to the nations, and then we're going to look at some practical ways we can answer that call. So let's take a look at God's heart for the nations. One of the key passages in the Old Testament that talks about God's heart for the nations is when God makes his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We usually think of God's heart for Israel when we think of that covenant, but listen closely as I read. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's heart here is for more than one family, more than one tribe, more than one people, more than one nation. It's for all the families and all the peoples of the world. And the Bible is filled with references like these for God's heart for the nations. Let me read just a few. Speaking to Pharaoh, God says in Exodus 9.16, But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In Joshua 4.24, God says that he brought his people through the Red Sea and the Jordan River, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Psalm 22.27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Isaiah 43, 6, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. And we see God's heart carried through to the New Testament too, probably most famously in what we call the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, 
We hear, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, literally ethnos, all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Acts 1.8, Jesus promised to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see the ultimate expression of God's heart for the nations when he talks about when Jesus comes back in the last book of the Bible, looking forward to the end times, John says this about Jesus' sacrifice. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then again in Revelation 7, 9 through 10. He says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. God has always had a heart for the nations. He isn't just the God of the Jews. He made each of us in his image And the fullness and beauty of God is expressed in the diversity of his people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. But I don't want us to stop here. God shows us his heart for the nations through more than just words. He shows us through his actions. When we read the Bible, we often see God step in to care for people who might seem like outsiders or the other. God has a heart for everyone. And the Bible often shows us this in surprising ways. And one of the ways that he does that is by including Jesus, or including the nations in the line of Jesus. In Matthew 1, Matthew takes great pains to trace how Tamar the Canaanite and Rahab from Jericho and Ruth from Moab all made up the line of Jesus. And this wasn't an accident. This was part of God's sovereign design to take these women who seemed like others in their day and make them part of the human ancestry of Christ. God has always been the God of every tongue, tribe, and nation. We also see God's heart for the nations in action through the prophet Jonah. God told Jonah to go to a foreign nation, Nineveh, and call out against it for its evil deeds. One commentator remarked that this may have been the first time a prophet was told to go to a foreign nation. So what did our first missionary do? (laughs) He ran away. And God, in his special way, found a way to get his attention and send him to Nineveh anyway. And once there, Jonah warned the people that God would destroy them in 40 days. And the people repented. And God spared them. And listen to how different God's heart is compared to ours. Jonah 4, 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. 
For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Not the best missionary. (laughs) This is why Jonah ran away. He didn't want Nineveh to be saved. And he knew that this is the kind of God God is. He knew that God is a loving God and a merciful God, the same God who promised to save Sodom and Gomorrah if only 10 people there were found to be righteous. The book of Jonah is light on details, but scholars think that Nineveh was one of the great Assyrian cities. And Jonah was written before the Assyrians conquered Israel, but their reputation for brutality preceded them. We see that from Jonah 3, where the Ninevites themselves uh, recognized this when their king told them to turn from their violent ways after hearing Jonah's message. So they were very clearly enemies that the Israelites had good reason to fear. And we see from Jonah's response that certainly some Israelites hated them. Jonah would rather die than be used as the God's instrument to save them. And listen, I, I realize most of us probably aren't actively hating other nations this morning. But do we have God's eager heart to pursue them? Do we have God's compassion and mercy that seeks after the other and those outside the camp? Does our compassion burn deeply even for those we may fear or dislike? If we were back in World War II, would we have answered God's call to be missionaries in Nazi Germany or Japan? Or would we answer God's call to go to the Middle East after 9-11? It's easy to shake our heads at Jonah. It's far harder to have his heart for the nations, especially when we're dealing with someone who is very other or someone we're afraid of. And this isn't just an Old Testament reality. We see this in action in the New Testament as well. Many of us know the story of when Jesus cleansed the temple in Mark 11. But what's fascinating is what's recorded for us in the gospel as to why Jesus got angry. He quotes from Isaiah 56, which says that foreigners who join themselves to the Lord will be brought to his holy mountain and will be welcomed into his house of prayer. And the part of the temple that Jesus cleansed was the court of the Gentiles. That was the only place in the temple that the nations, the Gentiles, were allowed to be. And the money changers and the animal sellers had crowded them out. And it's not that it was bad that there were animal sellers and money changers around. That was necessary, especially for people traveling from far away. It was helpful to be able to change their money and purchase animals to sacrifice. But the problem was that they were doing it in the only place that the nations could gather and worship. Jesus quotes from Jeremiah 7 when he says that they had turned the temple into a den of thieves, robbing the Gentiles of the only place that they could come and worship. God has a heart for the nations, and perhaps the angriest we see Jesus in the Gospels is when the nations were being kept from worshiping him. We also see God's heart for every tongue, tribe, and nation and how he moves in the apostles to care for the Hellenist widows. 
The Hellenist widows were Greek-speaking Jews that had a different language and culture from the rest of the Jews in Jerusalem. And the early church took up a collection to care for these widows, but the Hellenist widows were being overlooked. And so the apostles sprang into action to, to appoint seven men from the Hellenists to make sure that the problem was addressed and that all the widows were taken care of. Both in salvation and in day-to-day -day care, God has a heart for every tongue, tribe, and nation. God's heart for the nations is also seen through Paul's missionary journeys. Paul was the, the Hebrew of Hebrews, and here's what he says of himself in Galatians 1, 15 through 16. He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul says that even before he was born, God had a plan for him to become the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations. Throughout Acts and the epistles, we see God send him through Greece, Turkey, Syria, and Rome, and he wanted to go to Spain as well, but it doesn't sound like he ever made it. Paul had a God-given compulsion to take the gospel to new peoples. Paul knew that salvation comes through hearing the gospel, and he wanted to be faithful to Jesus' great commission to take it to the ends of the earth. It's not that the mission was done where he'd been. In fact, he left behind churches to stay there and continue their evangelizing and disciple-making missions, and he discipled them from afar through many of his letters. But he knew God had called him to continue to take the gospel to new places. We also see God's care for the nations in action through how Paul continually sought to resolve conflict between the Jews and the Gentile believers, even publicly rebuking Peter for sinfully withdrawing from the, for the Gentile believers in Galatians 2. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, after explaining how in Christ God is reconciling the Jews and Gentiles together, breaking down the inherent hostility that otherness often brings, and making a new people for himself, he says this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold, literally multicolored wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, the heart of God for the nations is most clearly seen through the blood of Christ. In his multicolored wisdom, God sent his son to die for our sins, so that by his blood, those who were once far off could be brought near. Outsiders have been made insiders. And Jews and Gentiles, all the nations, are being made together in Jesus to be one new man in place of the two. The world thrives on tribalism and hatred or fear of the other. And in God's multicolored wisdom, we have a new multi-ethnic church that will one day make up that heavenly chorus of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So that's God's heart for the nations. What about our call? What do we do about all this? As we heard in Matthew 18 through 20, 
We're to make disciples, not just in our own family, church, or neighborhood, but in all the, all the earth. And as we heard in Acts 1.8, the disciples were to be Jesus' witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we too, in addition to being the ends of the earth that those disciples were sent, get to join him in similar ways to take the gospel to all the nations. God has commanded us to do this. And we are the tools he uses to bring the gospel. And what God has called us to do, he has empowered us to do. And there is urgency here. As Paul said in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Salvation comes by hearing and believing the gospel. And that requires faithful believers to go take the gospel to the nations. So what does this look like? What does this look like in our day-to-day lives for us to be obedient to this call? Sometimes we can hear a message like this and think that the only way to respond is to become a missionary in a foreign land. And if you feel that tug, don't snuff it out. Pray over it. And, and talk to the elders, and talk to your home group leader. We'd love to pray with you to see if that's God's wisdom and will for you. But there's also many ways we can live out this command here at home. <clears throat> Don't forget that when Paul would move on to his next missionary journey location, he left behind a church to continue disciple-making and evangelizing. And that church also helped spread the gospel by caring for, praying for, and financially supporting Paul and other missionaries as they took the gospel to new places. You may have heard us mention the framework mobilize, pray, give, go, welcome. And that's just a a practical way to try to remember the different ways we can do this. So we're going to walk through that framework together and flesh out what that could look like in our day-to-day lives. Mobilize just means that like all the other one another commands in the New Testament, we're to encourage and inspire one another to do good deeds, to share and care with the nations, to spread the gospel, and that we need each other's help to do this. It also means that we're striving to learn more and train up future missionaries. That as the church, we want together to mobilize, to send people out to obey this call. You can come talk to us in the lobby, and we've got uh, resources, and we'd love to talk with you further about what this can look like, but that's, that's part of what we're trying to do this month. We're trying to mobilize one another to care about the nations just like God does, to seek what can I do, what can we do to obey this gospel call. Pray. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes prayer can feel like a cheap answer. It's free. Does it really do anything, we might ask? But brothers and sisters, that's our heart lying to us when we feel that way. There is power in our prayer. Praying for global outreach is how God awakens our hearts and desires to have that same heart he does. Prayer is the means that God uses to give power to the spread of the gospel for those who go out to spread his name. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, gosh, I really don't have the heart for the nations that I should, prayer is the perfect place to start. And we've got prayer prompts out in the lobby. If you need some ideas about how you can be praying for the nations and for our missionaries, love to give you some ideas for that. 
we'll also be praying in our home groups. Each home group will have an assigned missionary that they'll be praying for throughout the year. These are ways to help us grow in our prayer for the nations. You can also give us your name and email address in the, in the lobby, and we'll sign you up for the newsletters that our missionary sends out. And those give you very specific prayer requests and praises so you can become partners in the joys and struggles that our missionaries have. Uh, one note on that before we move on. As you hear details about our missionaries, either here at church or in home group, or if you sign up for their newsletters, it's very important that you don't spread their information further. Uh, some of our missionaries work in countries or industries that are very hostile to the gospel. And we don't want to hinder their work or subject them to persecution by putting all their information out there. Give. Giving is also a way we can support global outreach. John commends believers who support missionaries in 3 John 6b through 8 when he said, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John says that believers that obey the call to go out to the nations do well, and we do well to support them, that we ought to support people like those, and that when we do, we partner with them in their gospel work. We become fellow workers of the truth through our giving. It's been said that we're not all called to be goers, but we can all be senders. And through our financial gifts, we can help send missionaries to the nations. <clears throat> There's a number of ways you can give towards global outreach. You can uh, go to missionaries directly through their missions organizations, or you can do it through your giving to Grace. And one of the ways that is helpful when you give to Grace is it lets us pool together our collective resources. When you give to a missionary indirect or directly yourself, financial hard times, loss of a job, even death can stop that giving. But when we give as a church together, we're able to give more steadily, more sizably to care for those missionaries. And that frees them up, so instead of trying to raise funds from dozens or hundreds of people, they can make relationships with a few churches so that that frees them up to spread the gospel instead of being fundraisers. As Pastor Bob shared last month, this past fiscal year, one of our missionaries reached out and shared that they were significantly underfunded for several months. Uh, and between us and another church, we were able to uh, put, plug that hole back up uh, and increase our funding, and the missionary reported back that they're now fully funded. Amen. We are so grateful for your giving that allows us to do things like that and respond like that as needs arise. Go. The call to go is probably the one we think about first when we think about global outreach. Jesus said in Luke 10:2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Each of us should be faithful to share the gospel where God has us, just like we were told to spread the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Those were areas closer in to the original disciples. We are to share the gospel with those that God brings in our path here. But God calls some to specifically go to the nations. And this can look different for different missionaries. Some of our missionaries go to make disciples in smaller group settings. 
Some go to plant churches. Some go and train local church leaders. Some do missions as a business in areas that are more closed to the gospel and missionaries. So they use uh, some type of company or venture to make inroads so that they can share the gospel. And some use compassion ministries as a way to show Christ's love and open doors for sharing the gospel. Most of us won't go ourselves, but all of us can care for, pray for, and seek to financially support those who do answer the call to go to the nations. The last one we'll look at today is welcome. Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19 says, God administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God reminded his people that they were once strangers in a foreign land. And just like God loves and cares for the stranger, we too ought to love and care for the stranger in our midst. And this is more than we can talk about today, but God has a heart for the vulnerable and the sojourner and the stranger amongst us. And here in Northern Virginia, we have a unique opportunity to care for the nations. There are so many people who come to us, either short-term or long-term, that we can minister to the nations without ever leaving our homes. We have a special opportunity here in the D.C. area. One of the things that stuck with me that one of our missionaries shared was that it can be very isolating living in a foreign country. There are language and cultural barriers, and it's far easier for the locals to make friends with each other than to make friends with this foreign missionary. And when people come to America, they have that same feeling. They can feel out of place. They don't have the connections that they have at home. There can be language barriers, cultural barriers, and we all have the friends that we already had. So this is an incredible opportunity to care for and minister to people who can really benefit from the love of God. If you want to learn more about doing that, that'll be one of the special focus areas of the Global Outreach Luncheon on the 29th. Uh, love to have you there. Uh, there should be a uh, sign-up link in Doug's weekly email. Uh, love to see you there, and we can talk more about welcoming the nations. But before we close, you may be overwhelmed by all I've shared today. And if that's true, let me remind you that what God calls us to do, he always empowers us to do. Don't forget that the Great Commission had the promise that Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, will be with us always. We are not alone in this call. He is with us as we seek to obey and spread the gospel to the nations. God just asks us to be faithful. He'll provide the power to save. He'll provide the power to obey. You might also feel like maybe this just isn't your thing. And it's true that God gives us all different callings and gifts, and, and that's okay. Maybe your heart is drawn more towards local outreach or one-on-one or -on -one discipleship. Great. Live and love where God has placed you and given that joy. But what I do hope is that you've walked away with a larger heart and, and some ways and ideas to continue to care for and pray for and give to the nations even while you minister in the areas that God has already given you. 
because unless you're ethnically Jewish, we were all once outsiders. We were on the outside of the camp and God saved us and brought us in. The Jewish Messiah Jesus has made us insiders. Thank God that he has a heart for the nations. Thank God that he sent people to spread the word to where we are so that someone saved us through the message of the gospel. And if you're here today and you don't yet trust in Jesus, this is God's kindness to you. That he brought you here today, that he sent people long ago to spread the gospel that started this church, and that you're here this morning hearing the good news of Jesus. God sees you. God knows your past. He knows how much you've struggled. He knows that hopelessness and helplessness that you feel. And he loves you so much that he sent his own son to live the perfect life that you couldn't live and to die on the cross for the punishment that your sins deserve. So that if you place your trust in Jesus, even today you can join the family of God. And one day when Jesus comes back, you will join us brothers and sisters made up of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by the love that you have for us. We are outsiders that you have made insiders. Father, help us have the heart for those who are still outside that you do. Help us be faithful in caring for and praying for and supporting and giving and going and welcoming so that your name may be made great in all the nations. We know that you have a heart for the families of every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. And we pray that your gospel would go out powerfully, that we would be obedient to share that gospel. We know that no one is saved without faith in Jesus. Father, give us your heart burden for the nations. Help us be obedient in all of these things. To you be the glory. Amen.